Welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. In episode 7 of our farmer series, I speak with Shayla Worms, who farms at St. Walberg, Saskatchewan. I met Shayla last December at Canola Week in Saskatoon. Shayla participated in a farmer panel called Using Precision Agriculture Tools, and I was the moderator. In the podcast, we talk a bit about tech, but mostly about the sprawling farm business, rocks, 4-H, and women in agriculture. I also ask one of my random questions at the end. Here we go. Our farm, actually, we are we are considered fourth generation um, farmers, Nick and I. And um, we also farm with um, his parents and I guess some family members that um, helped during seeding and harvest a couple of his brothers. The farm was established actually in 1947 originally. And uh, we farm 6,000 acres and then we do about a thousand acres kind of give or take of custom um, every year. So uh, like last year, we harvested about 8,000 acres, but had only planted 6,000. Um, and the biggest thing is, is our farm actually was um, a ranch prior to grain farming. So um, it was uh, basically a pure ranch of Black Angus cattle, about 2,000 head. And so we really only started grain farming um, six years ago and kind of started at 1,500 acres. Um, and so really the evolution of things has been um, major over the last six years where we've had to do a ton of work to pasture and bushland that we've turned into uh, kind of that farmable grain producing land. And we're no longer a mixed farm. So we did still have um, about 100 head of cattle and then that's slowly been kind of tapering off each year. And so now we just have steers. We don't even have cows. Um, because we're trying to focus all of our efforts on grain production. Another piece is that we're uh, we're located at St. Walberg. Um, That's kind of where the home farm is in northern Saskatchewan. But we also farm at Turtleford and Maqua. And then now that we kind of incorporate this custom work, we're actually even more scattered. So we, we actually farm about 15 minutes on a diagonal um, kind of in four different blocks all the way from Meadow Lake to Lloydminster. So it's quite, that means varied uh, topography, as you can imagine. So, you know, significant rock um, and gentle rolling or extreme hills to really flat land. So um, it's made for a really interesting uh, setup in terms of logistics and just keeping some controls in place with making sure that you have, um, you you grow, I guess, just a certain um, set of crops every year so we typically focus on uh, canola wheats barley and then very kind of limited pulses so doing some peas and and that you rattled off a, f- a few topics that are really interesting um, the first one you mentioned rocks and and before we started recording you mentioned that that you're looking at doing some rock picking on a field um, <laughs> where where is that field and is that something you've you've had to contend with maybe an unexpected surprise in in turning some of this pasture into cropland absolutely we 
the the rocks vary in size so anything that can you know run through the the combine and really uh cause major impacts there um to anything that can you know smash a header as well that are the homesteader style rock that are just gigantic below the ground and so that's that's huge for us we have to be really careful that's also why we run a disc drill because um, I, some people argue that it's kind of the the opposite, but we find that that disc drill just really doesn't dig dig rock. It just nicely kind of rolls over things, and so we don't have as many issues. And just it's it's quite durable on the land that we have. So, but when it comes to rock, um, we've we've pretty much had to have a rock picker out rolling steady. Um, you know, as soon as seeding is about to uh begin we've we've always had a rock picker on the field and then as soon as we wrap up harvest actually we send rock pickers out so we have uh we have two new ones coming this year um that are taking a little while so that's uh that's always interesting because we really depend on those tools anyone building stone houses or stone barns around here or what do you do with all those rocks just pile them up yeah we, you know, some of the rocks are actually really beautiful and it's neat to dig them up. And so they have been kind of um, poised around various parts of the, the farm. And I think um, they they really actually would be valuable for people that are looking. But uh, we pretty much have them piled up in a few specific locations in the field just because there, there are so many. And so that's a whole nother job in itself, getting the stone boat out there and hauling everything off and deciding where to put those rocks. So we kind of just weave around them at the moment. Yeah, nothing's changed. I remember picking rocks and we had big stone piles all over our farm. And you think that they might be have some value, especially when you think someone in the city would probably pay 20 bucks a rock for, uh, for anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but no, exactly. they, they pile That's up. A, yeah. yeah, that's a whole nother maybe entrepreneurial venture of getting those posted up on, uh, you know, Facebook buy and sell maybe and could really make a go at that. You you pick rocks, save you some time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good idea. I want to talk about the the the, the breaking of the 4,500 acres. So you, you said the farm is 6,000 acres now. And when you had the 2,000 Angus cattle, you had 1,500 acres of cropland. Now you, you're converting all of that pasture land to crop. Do you know if it was ever in cropland? Or is this, is this uh, so, now virgin prairie, basically? Yeah, so, you know, it um, parts of it would have been uh, potentially grain production, um, but it always just, it, it really wasn't, um, it wasn't super conducive before, even with uh, some of the, the pieces that were rented out. So um, one of the other sets of, I guess, grandparents, so my, my mother-in-law's parents, they had um, owned some of that land uh, prior. And so they always just had, you know, cattle or um, other livestock on that land just because there was too many small kind of bluffs and um, little pockets and really just the biggest thing is the equipment the evolution over the last you know, 10 to 15 years with, with headers that can contour some of these hills as well. It probably wasn't even really an option prior. Um, you would have just been missing too much and there would have been too many issues with running certain pieces of equipment over um, over those areas. And so I think majority of it was has always really been pasture. And that was, that was the passion of um, 
of my father-in-law. He really loved uh, loved cows and still does to this day. So I uh, love that side of agriculture, but um, we're just really excited about all the innovation when it comes to grain farming. So that's kind of where my husband and I have passion. Well, when you and I met in person for the first time at, at Canola Week in Saskatoon in December, you were there to talk about some of the innovative tools you're using on your farm, some of the technology. And I can see now why why that makes sense for you, because if you're if you're dodging tree bluffs and and huge rocks <laughs> or if you're, you're you got quite uh topographical land like lots of hilltops lots of low areas where so that the, so the, the header like you mentioned that follows the contours and and you talked about section control on your on your drill or overlap control i mean all of those things all of that technology fits in with your your land the style of your land it seems yes Exactly. And even just the mapping technologies of today with GPS and being able to mark where those, you know, homesteader, homesteader rocks are so that when you are harvesting or seeding, you can be aware of some of those pieces. So, yeah, that the agriculture technology is just it's huge. And it's it's really the reason why where we're at is it's possible to to farm and to um, have grain producing land. So um, it's exciting to be part of all of that. I just want to touch on the the custom work. It sounds like it's custom combining primarily. Um, we we tend to do that, and then as well as um, seeding too, and then and some spraying too. So kind of the full uh, full array of options. Hmm. And, and is that for for neighbors who just need a little extra help, or is this is this a part of the business that you want to grow? Um, no, that's a really good question. We we do some for neighbors for sure. There's some that um, are active farmers that they just uh, that kind of comes down to actually a huge benefit of if if you're organized on your farm and you kind of have these um, like pockets or windows in harvest, for example, where maybe you're waiting on your um, canola to be ready to go. And so we actually can jump over and do some custom stuff for people that um, maybe got into the field later, or they really just want to get done sooner. Um, Because of course, in our area, it's a big push right before snowfall. So if it's a late start to harvest, um, we often are jumping into those custom situations just because um, we usually kind of push through things and uh, the logistics allows us to jump over to some of those um, farming neighbors. And then as well as we, we have some good family friends that uh, they kind of have off farm jobs and they want to stay connected with the farm. And they just find that um, we can mix their stuff into uh, our, our rotations really well. And they, they like working with us, which is a huge benefit, and we love working with them. So it's a it's a good relationship. So we have kind of some of those partnerships set up. And so it's not necessarily pre-booked. It's like you have your your list of people who might want your help, and and you have a day, an open day or an open couple of days, and you say, hey, we've got a combine or a couple of combines ready if if you want us. Is that the way it works? Yeah, so typically with the kind of with the family friends, it is pre-booked. I would say we uh, we always know that we're going in there, and we basically kind of map it out with um, just incorporating it into the rest of our our land and kind of acting like it's um, just you know part of something we take on every year. 
um, and that really allows us to plan things out accordingly, um, especially with the, like, I guess the span um, that we have to go for traveling. And then as well as there are some kind of add-ons that I would say we usually have a decent heads up because you can tell if it's a, you know, getting into the field really late type of harvest. Um, we can usually sense that there's going to be more custom work, whereas, um, you know, the, the drought year, we definitely didn't do any because people were not needing that. So um, kind of just allows us to be to be flexible and um, just see if it works within the logistics and kind of deciding if we have the, the manpower as well or the human resources to to tackle it, too. From a business perspective, does it does it make sense, like helping to pay for machinery, for example, or to cover your labor costs? Yes, very much so. So um, we've just found it also validates um, the use of like if, if you are wanting to get kind of uh, newer equipment, like when we're going over just that larger amount of acres, um, it helps to uh, allow us to do that. Um, and just, just in general, um, it really pushes us to be efficient as well. And I think that's actually a big part of why, especially my husband likes to take those on is because it, it challenges those logistics and really makes you plan ahead um, because he wants to be able to, to help people. And I think that's, that's a big part of actually uh, what he, what he wants to do there is just um, be that kind of asset and be able to be dependable for people, you know, when they're in, um, dire need of, of help that uh, we can kind of jump in there and be able to help them out um, if we're nice and organized. So that's a big piece too. We're going to move on to some of your off-farm interests because you, you've got a bunch and, and 4-H is a big one and then women in agriculture. Which one do you want to start with? Yeah. Um, so I can, I'll start with um, 4-H because that uh, maybe just in light of the, the season it is right now, yeah. so being that it's May, uh, we have our St. Wahlberg um, Achievement Day that's actually going to happen on May 27th, so it's it's coming up quick here, and um, I was never part of uh, 4-H growing up, I, I never actually participated in a club, but um, the Worms family has like a long history of being part of 4-H. And so I kind of got voluntold into the role, but it's been a really nice, um, a nice piece of like a, a nice volunteering addition for me, actually. I, um, I find that it's, it's a really nice part of the, the community and um, allowing you to meet different families and stay connected um, with, you know, uh, cattle producers around the area. Um, we also have a few sheep members this year. And just seeing um, the, the kids that get to grow with that program. I mean, 4-H has been around for, I think, like, you know, over 100 years now. But it, it's been um, monumental in building really strong communities and um, banding people together teaches them really great lessons. Um, so we always focus a lot on, uh, you know, public speaking and um, really boost the, the kids' confidence as they have to show their animals and, um, you know, dress up nice and professional that day. And so for me, it really translates to um, just nurturing good people and um, confident 
young people who can take on some of these really important roles in the future and uh, just build their their skill sets. I was in 4-H for nine years and I learned a lot of good life lessons like uh, how to fix a 1972 Dodge Dart and um, which was a very simple car to repair so that was it's not like today's vehicles but uh, I also took uh, woodworking and I took um, cooking a couple of times with so the mums teaching their sons how to cook that's basically what it boiled down to it was, it was probably a good life life skill we had achievement every year as well and we did marching do, do they still do marching or is that uh, gone oh i can't say they might in other clubs i don't know if our, <laughs> ours does that but that's interesting yeah it sounds pretty old-fashioned but it, so every club <laughs> would would practice their marching and uh it's probably um left over from the war era not to say i'm that old but but it probably took a, a couple of generations to get rid of that. And I was in that transitional generation, maybe. This was this was Southwest, oh, yes. Mani- Southwest Manitoba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a whole, that's what's really neat about 4-H as well as just the, the selection of projects. So it, it's very much um, about empowerment of, of youth in all shapes and sizes. Like uh, it doesn't have to be just about rural. It doesn't have to be just about, you know, livestock. So um, that's, that's been like, it's, it's global and um, you see a huge difference in uh, the kids who just get to be part of something and like part of that, that club atmosphere. There's, there's so many benefits to it. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, just the public speaking alone, I mean that's that's a skill that's that's so important in in business and in life. What what do you get out of it? Yeah, so you know, I've I was reflecting on, you know, why we all volunteer in in general um in various aspects of lives because there's there's tons of people who uh volunteer in their in their communities or in agriculture. Um it's amazing the just the diversity of options that you have to select from. I mean, I've, I've picked, uh, well, I worked with 4-H and with um, Saskatchewan Women in Egg and with uh, Sask Young Egg, which is um, a young farmers and egg professionals group, uh, basically under the age of 40. And I think for all of these groups, it's really just that um, it allows me to be part of the industry and keep, uh, keep, you know, a foot in the industry because when you are farming you can really get sucked into um that entrepreneurship angle and that it's it's really good um to focus intrinsically but i just have always had like a big passion for understanding like how we really change like can change the world and how um we are all part of something bigger and um i like to understand trends and challenges and opportunities that all these different groups face um it really also pushes me to be a strategic and big picture thinker which i think does translate to the farm in terms of just management and um administrative uh skill sets as well because when you're trying to constantly help other organizations be efficient whether it's um you know helping support a good governance structure or just uh keeping keeping the the operations organized um that always will translate to uh benefiting um your your farm so that's what i really find is helpful for us and it just really fills my um, fills my soul to 
to do those volunteer pieces. And um, luckily I have a yeah family that very much supports it. So um, that's a huge bonus as well. With the women in agriculture, there, there are more, seems to be more and more women in agriculture. At least that's what it seems like from, from my perspective, but still not a lot of women or certainly not, not even close to 50, 50 women farming. Uh, or being called the farmers. What are the challenges that remain for women in agriculture, women on in on the prairies? Yeah, no, I think I think you're you're exactly right that it's uh, what I've found is I you know I graduated university from uh, the U of S in 2016, and I did find there was a huge amount of uh, women that were in university and that were in agriculture but the difference is just that they the the role in farming and so it's probably um that you know a very complex answer as to why that might be um i think lots of women uh whether it's you know the the men in their own families that they they don't necessarily actually recognize them as part of the farm no matter what that role is even if it is that they're um that they're running to get parts or they're making all the meals or they're constantly there for anything that needs to happen back at um, kind of like home base. So like they're not labeled as, as farmers or part of the farm for whatever reason. Um, I do think that's, that's changing. And I think people are getting better at uh, recognizing their, their major key roles. Um, But we have a, a fair ways to go and, um, I think it's really just changing the the narrative with some of the kind of up and coming youth again, like if, if you teach them that, you know, everyone has a role to play and that we're all kind of important. Um, and that if you're, if you're farming, like it's, it's a team, that's the only way that you can get the work done. Then I think things will slowly shift over time and everyone will start to recognize things, um, a little bit more like that. And I think, Another big part part is just that women are just always seem to be multitaskers. So lots of them aren't like even when they're they're farming, they're they have their um, hands in kind of different projects. Like they're they're volunteering, or maybe they do have like a part time off farm job. So suddenly they almost take themselves out of the farm. Like they say, well, you know, I I help farm, but I'm not a farmer because. I do all these other things, but really it's, it's, they, they are farmers. So um, it's, I think just the way that it's kind of communicated lots of it. You're a farmer, Shayla, obviously. Do you ever second guess calling yourself a farmer? Yes. Oh yes. I think it's, it's that, uh, what do they call it? The imposter syndrome that it definitely feels like, sometimes again, because I'm not necessarily the person making all the decisions um, and not the the main coordinator. But um, I think it just is about also the the family that you're that you're in or whoever you're farming with. It's that if they um, are part of like supporting everyone around them. And so I'm I feel very fortunate that uh, my husband and father-in-law and mother-in-law see kind of us all as having roles on the farm. And so for me, that's been a, a big confidence booster as well in allowing me to see what, what my role can be on the farm and the value that I can bring too. Because sometimes, 
you don't have to be you don't have to be the operator or you don't have to be the person who's manning all logistics they actually maybe need another role to fill so um that's what i'm kind of trying to focus on now too is like what what the management side can look like so just getting um, things organized with whether that's standard operating procedures or um, some safety measures in place, uh, those those types of things. You talked about cha- changing the narrative for women in agriculture. If you could think of one thing that you'd like to see changed in the next five years, wh- what would that be? Hmm. Um, I think it it probably is just that um, when like what would be cool to see is if anyone kind of uh, walked up to a woman, whether that's, uh, you know, a sales, a salesperson or um, an insurance person, and they, they walk up to like a woman on a farm that they, they assume that they are, are part of the farm. Because I think what doesn't happen or what does happen is they, they assume that they aren't going to be able to help them at all. I've had a few, a few friends that have, had you know they open the door and then it's like oh is your your husband or your dad around and it's like ooh that's that hurts when you get asked that question because it it really takes the wind out of your sails so I think that would be the the biggest piece is just to see like to see women and recognize them as someone who can who can help them and that they they know what's going on on the farm. Where would you like to see Canadian agriculture go? Have you got a sense of the direction that you'd like to see? Well, I think it comes from, again, like lots of the past work that I've done and just maybe the reason why I chose agriculture to begin with um, and why I chose to uh, just work in it is that I really um, am passionate about this this public trust piece and making sure that the um, the non-farming public have have an appreciation for farming and where their food comes from um, because it is such a big part of our world and there's so many people disconnected from it um, so not only would that help the public trust problem but what would also help is um, just the HR issue so it would be that more people from um, non-farming or ag backgrounds uh, to to choose to work in agriculture. Um, I think that allows them to see that we aren't hiding anything and that we're open to discussing how we can do things better when we're farming or we're working in agriculture, allowing us to um, see from their perspective some some new ideas. Because when you grow up on a farm, you can kind of be um, you can have a little bit of blinders up sometimes. So. I think some of these um, non non farming people can really be advantageous to join the industry, um, and I think that will help boost public trust and it will help our again our HR challenges, whether that's on the farm or just um, the you know the major amounts of jobs that are available in agriculture that are going unfilled. So just some of those, whether that's um, you know information technology or um, any of the other roles that are are lacking people in, um, that would be kind of my vision is just to encourage people to to work in agriculture, even if they're not from a farm or an ag background. 
Yeah, there's basically any job you can imagine has some sort of connection to to farming, whether it's robotics or food or or everything in between. But so, have you got an idea of how to reach people with the positive message about a, a career in agriculture? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to like I worked for Agriculture in the Classroom Canada for four years. And so there's a lot of organizations that um, strive to teach, uh, you know, young people about agriculture. So um, like organizations like that or um, like 4-H, that's another big piece. But then on top of that, um, organizations like Farm and Food Care, Saskatchewan um, and the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity, they they're all organizations that are playing a big part in communicating about the the benefits of um of agriculture and like just how to communicate if you're if you're a farmer how to get that word out um but it's it's also supporting organizations like there there's ag careers out there there's a lot of these um kind of different uh different organizations that are um pushing pushing jobs out and just it's really about encouraging people um it doesn't matter who, who they are or how you are connected with them, but it's encouraging them that, um, that they can, they can jump into agriculture and they don't, it's, we're not some, you know, exclusive, um, unwelcoming place because I've actually found quite the opposite. So it's just about encouraging people to, to join. And that's, um, that starts right at, at home actually with, whether it's with, um, your kids or your relatives and just making sure that people understand that even if they don't know much about agriculture that they can they can learn on the job. All right Shayla here's my random question from Jay's envelope of inquiries that's what I call it. Describe something you learned as a kid that has stayed with you. Okay, so I would say I think my mom said this to me when I was about 12 years old because I used to want to try and tackle everything that I ever wanted to do at the same time. And her famous words, which are not actually directly from her, I can't tell you who said it, but I it resonated more because it, it was from my mom, who is my role model. Um, and it was you can do it all, but you can't do it all at the same time. And so that is that stuck with me for all these years. And sometimes I've interpreted it differently. And I've it, it's really now stuck with me in the, in the last couple of years, because as life gets busy, uh, you always can feel like you're not doing not doing enough. Um, and especially when it comes to farming, you always feel like there's, you know, unfinished projects and that you have to be working around the clock to get everything done. But it's really just about prioritizing a few things at a time and making sure that you can um, tackle what is really important to you at that time and that you're going to have to forego some things sometimes. So you have to take opportunities as you are presented with them, but uh, don't kind of feel bad if you can't get everything done that you possibly want to. So um, sticks with me definitely every day. I try and remember that. You can do it all, but you can't do it all at the same time. 
Yeah. All right. What's the next thing you want to do? Ooh, well, I I feel like I have a big uh, big shift since I've only um, kind of wrapped up my my work with agriculture in the classroom mid mid January. So I have a, a lot of projects on the go. But I think I think what um, is on the horizon for me or over the next few years is uh, taking on kind of some some contract work. Um, hopefully, again, you know, getting back into the multitasking as a as a woman, but. Uh, I think that just really allows me to kind of have the best of both worlds and hopefully getting into some um, maybe higher level boards. So um, I, I am super interested in participating on boards. And so personally, that's what uh, really keeps me um, kind of keeps me going is being part of those team atmospheres that over, over oversee, I guess, uh, organizations and making sure that they're um, doing things as efficiently as possible. And um, I mean, for the farm, I think just that ultimate goal is uh, building, just continuing to be efficient and hopefully um, continuing the legacy of farming and encouraging our um, our kids and close relatives to be just passionate about farming and stick with it as well. Thanks, Sheila. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jay. And have a good uh, rest of your day. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Shayla Worms farms in St. Wolberg, Saskatchewan. To watch a video of the Canola Week Farmer panel, which included Shayla Worms along with Rob Stone and Carl DeConnick-Smith, go to the Canola Council YouTube channel, look for the Canola Week 2022 playlist, and click the video called Using Precision Agriculture Tools. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada with support from the three prairies-based canola grower organizations, Sass Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on flea beetles, hail, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you're not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Thank you for listening.